Shall we read a poem from a light in the attic? Hello all and welcome to a Shall We Read a Poem. I'm Russ. I'm Lauren. Independence Day has come and gone. Thank goodness it is gone. Because I think <laughs> we would be much better off if we were still part of the UK or part of, you know, England or whatever it was at the time. Not that they're doing great. They're just doing better than we are. Hopefully Boris Johnson is going down. One can hope. I sent I sent this to my sister on July 4th. It was a tweet I saw from Weird History. Uh, the most common national celebration on Earth is a holiday shared by 65 different countries on different days in each country on an annual basis, averaging out to being celebrated somewhere on the planet once every six days. That holiday is independence from the British. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we've been getting some weird cloudy weather. Is this weird? Well, this is weird to have, like, precipitation during the summer months. I learned that the London fog was invented in Vancouver, so it seems to track... Right, but you're closer to the ocean. We're having, we had rain today, and you know, once the Portland summer starts, there's not supposed to be any rain at all for like, three months. <laughs> but no, we got rain, and that's actually fine. That's rain once in a while in the summer is nice. It's kind of like being back in Maryland. If we did a direct translation of this podcast, it would sort out pretty well into Japanese because we always open with a weather report. <laughs> Well, the weather is more interesting than it used to be because climate change makes everything <laughs> very strange. I would like to count, I have no idea, you know, how quickly I could summon this, but how many states didn't start wildfires with fireworks? This year? Yeah. This is oh. July 4th. I know Texas did. Probably fewer wildfires this year than last year, at least in the West Coast, because we got rain. We got a lot of rain. We had a lot of rain in the spring. I'm convinced one of these days we'll have something good to talk about. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) No, I'm just thinking. You and I aren't particularly optimistic people. We're not. We're not sunny people. No, and we both do like to complain. (laughs) Things are legitimately bad all the time. So, Does it make you feel better to complain? Yeah, a little bit. I feel the same way. Yeah, it releases a little bit of my anxiety. I don't know why, but it does. I'm sure it's not a healthy thing, but and I feel like I would make everyone around me a lot happier. But it's like, oh, I'll just piss and moan for a minute. It's like, ah, that felt nice. It does. It does feel nice. <laughs> and that I can't complain about. Well, maybe we should read the poem about complaining. It's called Almost Perfect. Oh, I love this one. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those were the words of Mary Hume. At her seventh birthday party, looking round the ribbon room, this tablecloth is pink, not white. Almost perfect, but not quite. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those were the words of grown-up Mary, talking about her handsome beau, The one she wasn't going to marry squeezes me a bit too tight. Almost perfect, but not quite. Almost perfect, but not quite. Those were the words of old Miss Hume, teaching in the seventh grade, grading papers in the gloom. 
late at night up in her room. They never cross their T's just right. Almost perfect. But not quite. 98 the day she died, complaining about the spotless floor. People shook their heads and sighed. Guess that she'll like heaven more. Up went her soul on feathered wings. Out the door, up, out of sight. Another voice from heaven came. Almost perfect, but not quite. Oh, I feel like that's definitely going to be me. I don't know that I, I mean... There's no perfect, is there? <laughs> there's no perfect, but also I'm not even sure I'm ever like, oh, it's almost perfect, but not really. I think I'm always like, this sucks, I hate it. I feel like where gifts are concerned, I'm always like, oh my god, this is perfect, and I love it. With pretty much everything else, nothing. As you're reading that, I was reminded of a uh, short film that I really enjoy that showed up in one of my Halloween compilations. And it's called Death in Bloom. It's from 2015. It's directed by an Australian fellow named Dale Oates. And the entire short is about a door-to-door death salesman for Everyone Must Die. But the good news is you get to pick your death from a selection. And so there are a few different ways that you can die. And he ends up with a fabulously difficult old lady who just can't find the perfect death for herself i would like to see that <laughs> you want to, i can send it to you <laughs> sure, let's watch it how, how how short is the short well it's 10 minutes okay so that's too long that's too long for right now but uh send, you know link it below it if i think something is almost perfect but not quite i'm actually very happy mm. because I always feel that things that are good can never be permanent and that disaster is always around the corner. And so if I think things are almost perfect, but not quite, that's just par for the course. And that's the happiest I get. (laughs) This doesn't suck completely. Yeah. (laughs) So there's this song by The Replacements that I really like called Unsatisfied. And it's all about... You know, maybe things in your life are going fine. There's nothing wrong. At least you don't think. And then... But you're still not happy and you don't know why. I mean, the answer is depression, but... (laughs) Anyway, I love the song because I'm very familiar with that feeling. It's a very Lauren song. You think it is? Yes. How so? I'm surprised I haven't heard this one at karaoke. I didn't notice that they had it at baby kitten until pretty recently it's such a good song like even the just the intro music is so kind of choppy and wistful yep i'm a fan i went to see the replacements with my friend when i was in college and it was us who was like the (laughs) teenagers or maybe like young 20 somethings with a whole bunch of really disaffected gen x people See you, 50-year-olds. Yeah, well, they weren't 50 yet, probably, but, uh, well, they might have been. Uh, And he and I were just, like, bopping around, having a good time, even though the music is incredibly unhappy, and (laughs) it was just, all the older people were just looking at us like we were committing some kind of blasphemy. We were depressed before you. Yeah, I, I mean, I have times that I am depressed, but also I like to have fun when I go to a show. (laughs) 
going to see the cure and just head banging <laughs> i would probably i would almost definitely dance around in a perky way to the cure well i have a poem do you now what a surprise i'm doing put something in where well let, let's ask shell <laughs> <laughs> i bet he tells us all right <laughs> draw a crazy picture write a nutty poem Sing a mumble-gumble song. Whistle through your comb. Do a loony goony dance across the kitchen floor. Put something silly in the world that ain't been there before. So we're sticking it in the world. Or in the middle of a replacements concert. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) There wasn't the sort of stochastic joy that my friend and I were having at that replacements concert yet. I <laughs> I was bound and determined to not be depressing this week. And I think I might have straddled a very fine line. So, everything in the world is crappy right now, and I'm pretty convinced that nothing good will ever happen again. Hmm. I think I think humanity's apex was in the summer of 2016, and now it's a slow so- slide into oblivion. And when things are bad, there are loads of philosophies and viewpoints and memes and everything that crops up inspiring on Instagram and Facebook that says focus on yourself or focus on others or focus on your job or focus on being the good in the world or focus on being your best self. But what happens when, you know, you can't see the good in the world anymore? Mm -hmm. And the other day I was on Facebook, which was probably my first mistake. And the familiar face of Fred Rogers scrolled by. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fred Rogers, for the one person out there who doesn't know, was the host of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which was, for the time, a pretty revolutionary show for children. Uh, it focused a lot on slow contemplation and giving voice to your feelings and the validity of one's personhood and all kinds of cool stuff. He was on a meme, and the quote on the meme was uh, posted in relation to another mass shooting. It's the one that you might have seen that says, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You can always find people who are helping. Right. And I think that's meant to be inspirational or uplifting. But my Mm -hmm. first thought was, there are no helpers. Like, there may be people who are doing their jobs, like paramedics and firefighters, but affecting real change seems impossible by way of example one might characterize homeless outreach as helping but even in looking into that cause i can't believe how much infighting there is argument how many articles there are on the right way to fight homelessness and just excoriating any newcomers that don't fit into the establishment which is funny to say that you have like an establishment for fighting homelessness well i do have an opinion on that and which is that some people who have been doing homeless advocacy have been doing it for a while, and so they have an idea of what homeless people actually need and and want and what will help. And so sometimes when people waltz in, they don't know these things, and they're not really helping. And my response to that is, if they've been doing it so long, why isn't it helping? And I give the example of Vancouver's downtown east side, uh, where geographically most of our homeless and substance abusing population is most concentrated. 
The most recent numbers I can find uh, say that it costs $360 million a year to operate 260 social services and housing sites. That's 260 agencies to the tune of a million dollars a day. And that's how you know this problem is never going to be fixed in this current incarnation. Yeah. It, It has been this way since the early 80s. And if it were fixed now... How many people would be out, how much money, and how many jobs would be immediately lost? Like, it's in a lot of people's best interest for this to stick around. What do you mean? If you have 260 agencies, that's 260 people that don't actually want the problem to go away. What? Oh, that seems extremely cynical to me. You can apply what you're doing to a lot of other things, and the money would get put into other things, you would think. We hope, but, you know, BC just proposed $850 million for a museum renovation. I feel like there are better uses for that. But anyway, I didn't come here to talk about homelessness. That was just by way of example for me to say that helping is a weird concept and this is stupid advice for an adult to follow. Look for the helpers. Now, I thought that I had had a really good idea when I thought that, but then I ran a Google and found that this was an article written about four years ago. (laughs) And it turned up... So there's my original thought. It uh, turned up in The Atlantic uh, by an individual named Ian Bogost. And the uh, article was The Fetishization of Mr. Rogers' Look for the Helpers. And uh, the subtitle, Turning the Reassuring Line for Children into a Meme for Adults, Should Make Everyone Uncomfortable. Right, it is for Um, children. It is to... To say to children, you know, try to focus on something that's reassuring. Yeah. I love, like they told me in English class, put your thesis out there first. <laughs> but yeah, look for the helpers, as you say, is advice for children. And then it became a meme, and now you see it trotted out like that wonderful onion headline every time something bad happens. Yes. And I'm quoting Ian here. Even for preschoolers, it was never meant to be used alone. On the part of the Fred Rogers website about tragic events, focusing on the helpers is one of an eight-point bullet list of tips. It also advises parents to turn off the television, maintain regular routines, and offer physical affection. Not only was this advice meant for children, it was intended as part of a holistic approach to managing a small child's worry during a crisis. Then I got hung up on this idea of what is a helper? Or if you're thinking of Mr. Rogers speaking to a child, helpers might include police. And we know how well that turns out. I'd like to think Mr. Rogers did not like the police. (laughs) I would like to think so, too. Our most recent bout with people that thought they were helping, uh, and that was the old growth protesters. And uh, for no one local, their whole deal was that they would block major thoroughfares and bridges with their own human bodies until logging was halted in certain old growth forests. And all they did was make everyone mad at them. They have since stopped their street protests because it turned out one of the co-founders was here on a student visa. So they were like, knock this shit off or we're going to deport you. And so they knocked that shit off and didn't deport him. Uh, But it also didn't help that one of their members fell off a weirdly erected ladder that they'd stuck in the middle of a freeway and shattered his entire pelvis. So there's that. But anyway, the helpers didn't help a thing. And I'm sure they would characterize themselves as helpers. But all they did was project terrible energy onto a city for nothing. They weren't helpers, they were dicks. 
Go back to the article. Uh, it seems that Mr. Rogers meant the term to refer mostly to train service professionals in a position of authority. In a 1986 newspaper column about the helper's concept, Rogers was still leaning on natural disasters as a paradigm for terror and on childhood memories of newspapers, radios, and newsreels that fomented fear. Later in a 1999 interview uh, with the Television Academy Foundation, Rogers clarified the idea, talking about the people, quote, just on the sidelines of a tragedy. His hope was that the media might show actors like rescue teams, medical people, and anyone who's coming into a place where there's a tragedy. And of course, when you hear the word helper, it would be hard to decry a paramedic or a firefighter. Right. So, why did I pick this poem? Because... It seems to me the only way to do something that I can control is to create. This isn't like run for president and create a new world kind of creation because, you know, there there wouldn't be any hope that we could become elected president anyway. And I don't really believe in free will, but I kind of pretend that I do. Or maybe it's just a locus of control, like I can do literally nothing to affect what's going on in the world apart from voting, I want to angrily clarify. <laughs> uh, but I would I say can... there's a lot more things that people can do in addition to voting. For a later episode. <laughs> <laughs> but we can make things. You sent me a hat. And it was like the best gift possible. And like that hat, it's a hat and it still makes me smile. But apart from making podcasts, I don't make things like physical objects with my hands. And so I'm going to do my level best to keep voting, see what making things does for me, and doom scroll less. And so my putting things into the world is going to be. I'm going to take a page out of your book, and I'm going to cr- try creating garments. I think that's really cool. But I have no idea where it will go, but the most important step someone can take is the next one. So. I like that idea. I I feel a little odd about the creation of useful objects in that I feel like people don't notice me, and nobody knows who I am or what I do and I'm going to die in obscurity and I will be as if I never existed. Uh, (laughs) The thing about making these useful things as people have for ever is that you're putting something out there and it doesn't really have your name on it. It's not an art piece that people will go wow and think what a genius or I am supposedly a writer who never writes very much. And so uh, I've read many things that you've written. Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) But that has my name attached. And so when I'm making things, my name is not attached and possibly no one will know that I did them. And also it's a way that I help because as I'm learning to sew, I make hats. I made a hat for you, but also I make hats for people who are unhoused and need to stay warm on the streets. And this summer I'm making cooling scarves as directed by a group called Mending Block. And this summer is not as hot as last summer, but they are very helpful in keeping yourself from overheating. But nobody will ever find a hat or a cooling scarf or whatever that I made and know that I did it. And in that way, they will be helped, but I will still in that way not exist, if you know what I mean. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like owning a painting or 
owning like an antique chair or something. Right. Like it's not pa- that I want appreciation. I don't want anybody to be like, oh, you're so amazing, Lauren, for making these things. I just want people to know that I exist. Hmm. Which do you get more use out of, the chair or the painting? I mean, depends on whether the chair sucks or not. This is a good chair. This is a Lauren-made chair. Well, then, yes, I'd get a lot. I mean, I would make a terrible chair. But yes, if it's if something is a good, <laughs> useful object, I will use it so much. And I try to think about that. Whenever I have an object that's particularly that's old, I try to think about, you know, who used this object? Who made this object? Where did it come from? What was the person thinking? What were, were they in their life? Were they happy that day? You know, try to think of them as a person, as an artisan. And I'll never know who they are, but I'll sort of know that they existed. What are the contents of a cooling scarf? Oh, uh, you have a cotton tube, pretty much, and you put uh, water beads in them. They're these beads that swell up with water, and then they release the water slowly over time. And so you put it on your neck, and it does evaporative cooling for you. Water beads, eh? Yes. So I have one little thing that's on this subject. I am going to send it to you in this chat. The shell game. Hat and put something in reprise. So I found out we weren't the only ones who started reading Shel Silverstein poems in the pandemic. Somebody else had the same idea. And this YouTube channel is by someone named Rob Harpist, and he does videos of himself reading these poems as if he's doing Shakespeare in the park, pretty much. Like, definitely there's some drama to it. There's a lot of drama here. Oh no, comments are turned off. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy it. We aren't the only one to put this thing into the world. On one hand, I am annoyed about that, that we weren't that original. On the other hand, they did a good job. It's entertaining. It's entertaining.